As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Ogladsome Light Podcast. This program contains preaching and teaching from an Orthodox Christian perspective to help you in your walk with Jesus Christ and to be victorious in Him. Well, good morning. This morning we just read from the, uh, Revelation 19, a very powerful scripture showing the return of Jesus to this earth. And I like to give credit where credit is due this morning on the origination of this message. It was called Maranatha. And I thank you, Dee, for asking the question one night as we were driving down the road, what does Maranatha mean? And I thought, I'm a Bible scholar, I'll just tell her. I know these things, you know. I've been in the Word a long time. and I says, well, it means come, Jesus, come. But you know what? I had to sit and think about that a minute. What if I told her wrong? What if I said the wrong thing? So I started off on an adventure, a study of the word Maranatha. Let's take a look at the word Maranatha. It is comprised of two words. And if you look in the Strong's Concordance, uh, number 3134, uh, you get to see those broken into two words. Like I say, it is Aramaic, and it is it means our Lord cometh or will come. So it's showing a future tense that any time. And I have found out uh, by looking at uh, this passage in First Corinthians sixteen twenty-two that this is always tied to judgment. It's divine judgment that's, that's being. Uh, provided here uh, so when I hear somebody say Maranatha uh, thinking it was you know come Lord Jesus come it is really our Lord cometh or will come and it is related to divine 
judgment. As I said, that Maranatha only appears one time in Scripture. As I said, I thought it appeared twice. But if you look at Revelation 22.20, it is a totally different word. And it's in the Strong's Concordance 2064, the word come in the Greek, ephome. It's come, Lord Jesus, kidia isu. And so you see that that is a totally different uh, word than Maranatha. So uh, that's, that's not a, uh, appearing to me as judgment, but it's, it's the last, one of the last lines in the book of Revelation of uh, the writer, uh, you know, John, praying for and wishing for that the Lord would come back. Uh, and come back quickly because, uh, you know, John was exiled on Patmos and then he was finally released and he spent his uh, final days with the, the Holy Theotokos. But, uh, and he was called the Blessed of the Lord. So that's, uh, that's the, the, the difference between Maranatha, uh, 1 Corinthians 16.22 as compared to Revelation 22.20. So uh, if you Bible scholars out there want to uh, proceed with that, go look up those words and do a word study for yourself, and you'll, and you'll see that. It almost sounds the same. And I want to read a little bit of this epistle to set the stage what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth. He says, Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Acacia and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints, that you also be in subjection to, the, to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. And I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Acacius because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla, Aquila and Prissa greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. So we see in Corinthians that churches were in homes. And what do we have here? We have a little gathering in a home. I said, I like that. All the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. The greeting is my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. Maranatha. Now, isn't that strange that, that Paul would say such a thing? He is, he is throwing all these accolades, all these nice thoughts out, positive thoughts. And then he comes and says, if anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. Maranatha. And we know by the definition of the word Maranatha, meaning that the Lord is coming. That he wanted the Lord to come. Now by saying, let him be accursed, come Lord, come, does that almost sounds like a, a conflict. Because if you're being accursed, you're being blotted out. Being removed. And if you're being removed from the Lord, what's your options? Not very good. So it almost sounds like a contradiction. Paul is not being weird by saying this. 
because he wanted to give up his very salvation for the nation of Israel. And I'll show you that in a moment. But he's making a point here, a strong point. What is probably the most important word to say today and at his time is that we are to love the Lord. Love him. If you're not, you might as well be a curse. You probably are already. If you don't love Jesus, you're probably already a curse because you're not on his level of understanding. You're not walking his wisdom. And you're at the opposite end of the spectrum. If the Lord's over here with this program, his agenda, which is the true agenda, and you don't love him and love his agenda, then you're over here. Out of the will of God. 180 degrees opposed to what he is doing. The word Maranatha, I've already defined, but it, when it means that Jesus is coming, I think we need to spend just a moment in understanding what that process is. We are now speedily going into the last part of the grace period, they call it, where God is, you know, the it's like Noah's Ark, the door is open in Noah's Ark, and the people, the eight people that went in for salvation, the animals that went in, and then God closed the door and sealed it so no more could go in. This is basically what's happening today. The door salvation is open, and people are being drawn in by the Spirit. Think about how the animals got to the ark. God must have spoke to them. In their, in their souls, better go there. Two by two. And it's a nice story to tell children. And it's a nice, cute story, but it's more than cute. We're talking about life and death here, because if you didn't get on the ark, you perished. So two by two, they went into the ark. The door was closed. The rain came. We call it the deluge. And all life was extinguished from the face of the earth. God started over with eight people and that whole zoo on that ark. So as we come to the end of the age of grace, probably the next event, now I'm not, some people may disagree with the order of events, but that's okay. Because God's got it all figured out anyway, and all we are is trying to hopefully stay in agreement with what God's plan is. But we see a rapture coming. That's probably the next event to happen. Where God is going to... See, right now, God does intervene in our reality. He intervened marvelously when Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus came as an alien to this planet. He is coming again, but not as a baby. He's coming again in all power and glory with a, with a, with a drawn sword to execute judgment upon this earth because every time you say the word Maranatha, judgment is connected to it. can't help it. And, and Paul is even bearing it out when he's talking about if you don't love the Lord, let him be accursed. Maranatha. Judgment. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we read in verses 13 through 18 about the rapture. It talks about... I'll read it real quick. You don't have to go to it because I'll, I'll just... Uh, going to hit a lot of scripture this morning quickly. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those things that are, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the, the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even to, so God will bring with him 
those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. See what Jesus is going to bring. He's bringing something with him when he returns to the earth. He's bringing those spirits back with him that have departed and gone ahead of us, the saints, and he's going to connect them with the immortal body. He's going to speak as he spoke the worlds into existence. He will speak an immortal body and connect the spirit with that body for us to never to die again. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. So the, the dead in Christ will be raised first. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. The word rapture does not, does not appear in Scripture but the word caught up does. So I don't know where the word rapture ever came from. So we'll be accurate to this morning and say or be caught up with the Lord. The Lord won't physically come to the earth at this period. He will just appear in the heavens and he will, by his word, call up those to him. 1 Corinthians also verifies that in chapter 15, in verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery that we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will, will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. We have to be changed. We cannot go to heaven in this condition. We can't inhabit heaven in this form. We have to be changed. Now, I was surprised in, in the book of John, the Gospel of John, he says it again. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Isn't that comforting to know that? That Jesus has not abandoned us. He has gone ahead to prepare a place for us and he's going to come back and call us up to him. After this event, when the church is called out, the tribulation may begin. Now, some people say the tribulation will start, then we'll have a, a, a rapture. And some say, well, now we're going to have the whole tribulation and the rapture is going to come at the end. I don't know. I don't care. All I know is that these things will happen. These are events in Scripture that will happen. The tribulation will go on for seven years. And that's verified by Daniel, the prophet Daniel, chapter 9, verse 27. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. Now remember, one week, one day with the Lord could be like a thousand and so forth. And we know the definition through the study of the Scripture that this week equals seven years. And in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to a sacrifice and grain offering and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction one that is decreed is poured out upon the one who makes desolate and that is the antichrist that will come on the scene and he will stop everything midway there's going to be a big double cross in the middle east that's going to be
peace and peace and everybody's going to hook up and everything's going to look great for three and a half years. And then about midway through, he's going to double-cross him and it's going to be a turn of events. He's going to take charge and hell on earth will begin. That's bore out in Revelation chapter 11. It tells us about halfway through this tribulation period. Then we'll move on to judgments. There'll be 21 judgments upon this earth. You can read that in Revelation. There'll be a persecution of Israel. The 144,000 will be saved. The rise of the Antichrist will occur. I'm just giving you bits of time here with how the chronological order, how it's going to go. In 2 Thessalonians, it talks about the rise of the Antichrist. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come until first the apostasy comes first. And that's what we're in right now. We're in the apostasy, the falling away of the faith. And the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Isn't that amazing what he does? He actually calls himself God and takes over. And Revelation 13 also expands upon that, about the rise of the Antichrist. Then the glorious return of Christ. We read that, we read that this morning in Revelation 19 about how it's going to appear, how Jesus is going to come back in all power and glory. Then we move after that, that return of Christ. We'll move into the millennium. Satan will be chained for a thousand years and be cast into the pit. And when he is chained and cast down, guess what? There'll be no sin on this earth. It'll be peace, love, harmony completely because Jesus will rule this earth with a rod of iron. That's beautiful to know that. That, that the people that are alive on this earth and us, are us, the saints of God, will be here also. We can go to heaven. We can stay on this earth wherever. Because we'll be immortal at that time. We'll have a godlike characteristics. We'll be able to move around at the speed of thought. Think about it. I want to go to heaven. You're there. I want to go back to earth. You're back. Now Jesus is going to rule from Jerusalem with a rod of iron. And I say, well, gee, what's it going to be like? How is he going to rule? I mean. What's the, what's the program? Well, the prophet Isaiah already told us. Isn't that nice? Thank God for prophets that tell us what it's going to be like. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of, of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what he hears, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the, for the afflicted of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. I tell you, one thing Jesus is, he's faithful. Even when we're faithless, he is faithful. He never stops being faithful. He says he is faithful and true. He never, how many times have we turned our back on the Lord and disappointed him? And all we got to do is remember, if we have done it, he can't do it. He is always faithful and true. 
That's why the covenant was made with Jesus and the Father at the cross and not us. You think about it. Abraham had a covenant made with him and God, and God put him to sleep so he could make a covenant with himself because he knew Abraham couldn't keep the covenant. So he knocked him out, put him to sleep, and made a covenant with himself because he, Abraham, had to prepare the covenant by taking certain animals, and cutting them in half, and laying them out on a, on a rock. And that's the reason he did that is so the one who was making the covenant had to pass through those pieces of those, of those slain animals saying, if I ever break the covenant, what happened to me was happened to those animals that had been sacrificed and laid on that slab. That's what the covenant's all about. And so God knew that Abraham couldn't keep that covenant like that because he was a sinful man, so God made covenant with himself. He did it at Calvary, didn't he? He didn't do it with us. He made a covenant with Jesus. The Father did at Calvary. He darkened the earth so we couldn't see what was going on. He brought darkness upon the earth and made a covenant with Jesus. So now, we who are in Jesus can be in the Father. See, Jesus is sinless, perfect. His blood is perfect. And so he always pleases the Father, it says it in Scripture. So if he's always pleasing the Father, never out of the Father's will, and we are always seems to be out of the Father's will, we get to come in under Christ, and we're acknowledged as being in Christ, in the Father. See how that all works? It's a beautiful flow in the house. We can't stand before God on our own account because we'll be put down if we do. It says you must come. In the Old Testament, you had to come with the proper sacrifice. It doesn't change. In the New Testament, we have to come with the proper sacrifice. If you do bring the wrong one, you will be empty-handed. So Jesus is going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. We will go up to Jerusalem. At least the nations will come up once a year during the Feast of Tabernacles and worship the Lord. If they don't, they will have disease and famine and drought throughout their areas. But after that thousand years, there will be one last revolt. There will be, Satan will be loosed for a season. It says a short season. In Revelation 20, read it someday. He'll be loosed and he will gather the nations from the four corners against Jesus and his saints to make war one more time. They call it Gog and Magog. But we know who wins. We know that Jesus puts it down for the last time. And he cast him into a... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. A lake of fire. When you cast him into the lake of fire, he'll never come out of there. All those demon angels are going in there with him. And the sad thing is, mankind will go there too that does not love God. God doesn't want that to happen, but it will happen. 
because He's a just God. He hates sin. And He has given us every chance while we are alive to make a choice. He has given us all the resources, the people around us to make a choice for Him. And it has to be a free will choice. He doesn't jam Himself on you. He doesn't force Himself. He's a gentle, loving, beckoning, wooing God and encourages you and draws you with the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, come, I have a better way for you. But you can turn that down. We are free moral agents. We can say no. We will make our bed and sleep in it. So that's a, an outline of the return of Jesus and of how it's going to happen in the end times. When you say Maranatha, that's what you're saying. It's kind of hard to say Maranatha and not say all that. So it's kind of, you know, so what I'm trying to say is it's a mouthful. <laughs> Getting back to what Paul said about Maranatha prior to that, he says, if you do not love the Lord, let him be accursed. A blotting out. So I looked at that. Being accursed. What a terrible thing to happen. To be accursed. But Paul wanted to be accursed for his own nation. You believe that? I don't think I have that. I don't think I have that in me. To be able to say, Lord, I'll give up my salvation if this person gets saved. Did you say that? I don't know if I could say that. But listen to what Paul says here. For I wish that I could myself be accursed, separated from Christ, for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ, according to the flesh, who is over all. Paul knew the nation of Israel like the back of his hand. He was a profound student of Judaism and he knew the heart of Israel. They were blind. They did not receive, most of them did not receive Christ as the Messiah. Not all, some did. You can't say that they all rejected Jesus. They didn't. Because at the Pentecost, 3,000 were converted. And they were probably all were Israelites. But I found out something. That spirit that was in Paul to confess that was, a, was not a new spirit. It's not a new feeling, not a new attitude, because guess what I found out? Moses had the same attitude. Can you believe that? Moses think like that. I didn't know Moses felt like that. But I, I saw it in Exodus. I'm going to read that real quick to you. Exodus chapter 32. Now, I'm going to set the stage. They were delivered out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They were in the wilderness. They are heading for a mountain. They're going to have a mountain experience with the Lord. And Moses is going to go up there and receive the covenants from God. And while he's away, the nation's going to wait. They're at the base of the mountain. They're waiting for Moses to come back with the covenant from God. And while they're there, Moses' brother Aaron, who's the, the leader while Moses is out, they start talking. And guess what? They brought all this treasure from Egypt with them. Gold and silver, and because when when the Passover happened, when the death angel came and smote the firstborn of each household, 
the nation says, get out of here, you troublemakers. And he sent the whole load out into the desert. And he says, while they're leaving, take the gold, take the silver, take your herds, take the fine linens, take all this stuff and get out of here. So they went out into the desert rich. And they got all these riches from heathens. But you know, all that material they carried out of Egypt into the wilderness was for a reason. I'm going to show you that in a moment. It was God had placed it in their hearts, the Egyptians' hearts, to do that because God was setting up a, a covenant with the, that nation. God's heart, which hasn't changed today, is He wants to dwell with His people. He wants to dwell with His people. And He did that through the tabernacle. Now, where did all the materials come for to make the tabernacle from Egypt? The gold and the silver and the precious linens and all that, the animals that they sacrificed in the tabernacle, was all brought out of Egypt, built up in, in the wilderness. So, when Moses was away and the people started getting restless, they took the gold that was sanctified to be used for the tabernacle and they made a golden calf out of it. Oops. Mistake. Because when Moses came down and he saw what was going on, he took the covenant and tossed it down on the ground and shattered it. Moses returned to the Lord and says, Alas, this people have committed a great sin and they have made a gold, a God, they have made a God of gold for themselves. But now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me from the book which thou hast written. Moses was willing to give up his salvation for the nation. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But, but go now, lead the people where I told you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. Then the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. And what they had to do is they took that golden calf and they ground it up into fine dust and they, each one of them had to eat it. Each one had to drink that gold. And I was thinking about that. You know, the tabernacle and all the elements that go around it, that was sanctified for the worship of God. Are we any different today? That this tabernacle belongs to who? To the Lord. He's made claim to it. He owns it. He bought it with a price. He paid a great price for our tabernacle. He's placed his spirit within it. Just as he placed his spirit in that physical tabernacle that they carried around in the wilderness. But we are sanctified. We're not our own anymore. We belong to Christ. So what we do with ourselves, we're accountable to the Lord. Everything we do. It talks about a book of life in Revelation. We've all heard that. And being accursed means being blotted out of that book. What a horrible thing to think of, that, we, that you'd be blotted out. Because it sounds like when you're blotted out, you're blotted out. You just don't get revoked. You're out. And all those who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who had been slain. We're talking about the worship of the Antichrist, taking on the mark of the beast and all that stuff. If you do all that, you're going to worship the Antichrist. Your name is not written in the book of life. 
And it's no different in the Old Testament because in the Old Testament it's, it's still applied. Because Daniel had a book. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. So there is a book in heaven that we are placed, our names are placed into. But if you do not love the Lord, you're accursed and your name is blotted out. So it sounds like the whole issue is love the Lord. And your name is assuredly placed in that book forever. So I want to spend the last couple minutes here talking about loving the Lord. Since that seems to be the most important thing. I want my, my, I want my name in the book of life. I want your name there. I don't, want to, I don't want to be accursed. I don't want to be blotted out from God's memory. It said in the last days, when, it, when, it, when, it, when, it's called, when the role is called, they'll call your name. And you will inherit what Christ has. But I also believe in this, that if you are truly God's, that He has placed His Holy Spirit in you, that He has the power to keep you that if you're one of those 99 sheep 100 sheep one takes off the Lord leaves the 99 to go get the one stray and bring it back to the pack well, pretty good that's not good business today in our physical realm well if I lost one I still got my 99 I'll keep them close well that's just a liability and let it go the Lord doesn't work that way he'll leave the whole shooting match and go after the one that's straight away I don't think Pratt Whitney would do that. <laughs> this day and age, they said, well, it's just one engine, we'll let it go. But see, that's the way the world is. See, the world does it this way, but God's kingdom works this way, so it always seems to be in opposition. You know, the world's always in opposition to the kingdom of heaven. So if you want to know if heaven's in agreement, well, let's look at the world. If the world's doing it this way, then we don't do it that way because God's doing it this way. So that's one good way to see. It's an opposite, I guess. Opposite supply. Loving the Lord, I believe our lifestyle will show us how we love the Lord because we are a series of steps. Our life is a series of steps. Our life is one day at a time. And we take a step every day. And as we add the days up, the many steps, it becomes a journey, a destiny, and our life. So what comes out of the abundance of our heart? Where is your treasure? It says, where your treasure is and your heart, they're connected together. John chapter 15. Real quick, I'll read about loving the Lord. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So if it's good enough for our Master, it's good enough for us, isn't it? If He's saying, I kept the commandments and I abided in my Father's love, you keep the commandments and you will abide in my love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So when we're in there doing the commandments of the Lord, 
we're abiding in His love, then we have the joy of the Lord, and everything is okay. So to do the commandments of the Lord, we've got to do what? Deny ourselves. We've got to say, Oop, the Lord's more important than me. And when, when a choice comes in our life, we've got to make a choice. Um, me, Lord. Me, Lord. That's basically kind of simple, but that's how it works. It's choosing Jesus over yourself in every aspect of your life. And it's hard to do because we have a, we're, we're living in a flesh body and, and we have all this going on inside of us and, and we're making choices and we have desires and, and it's just, what a, what a war we're in. <laughs> I say we're battling the flesh every day. It's like that salmon that's swimming upstream to get back to its spawning bed. It's got to fight the current all the way back. It does make it back and it does make the spawning bed and goes back to where it came from. That's where our life is in Christianity. Is it's a battle all the way back. And we're battling our way back to heaven. But it's good. I wouldn't want it to, I wouldn't want it to be easy. I believe that we are designed to 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 work in hardships like that. That God has placed us, put stuff in us for us to solve problems and work it all out and and if a roller coaster was just a straight rail running smooth and flat, who would ride it? Man, roller coasters are fun because they go up, they go down, they make a left, they make a right, and you get sick and whatever, you know, all that stuff. But they're exciting. So life is exciting. Some people don't like roller coasters. I don't. <laughs> Some people love them. And they just love the excitement. He warns us in Matthew 10.32 about denying him. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have came to bring peace on the earth. I do not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Very heavy. Take up the cross, follow Christ. Deny yourself and do not deny him because he will deny you before his father. In closing, I want to read a passage, a short passage that would give you some equipment on how we are to act in loving Christ because he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And if we want to know how to respond to our Heavenly Father, all we've got to do is study the life of Christ. Look how Jesus was. And we're going to see in Philippians chapter 2, it says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So there's supposed to be an attitude that we're supposed to have. who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be granted. Oh, the Lord. Now, remember, he's the Lord of glory. He gave up everything in heaven to come here to be a sacrifice 
for us to take us back to the Father. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming an obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, when he went to the cross, he had to become the very thing he hated the most, sin. Did not Jesus hate sin? Yes, he hated it. God, he hates sin. But he had to become the very thing he hated. Now, just think about That's why he cried at Gethsemane and asked for the cup to be removed from him if it could, but not my will, but thou, Father, your will be done. That's why the blood fell from his forehead. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. See what the reward was for Jesus doing that, what the Father did for him. That at the name of Jesus, now because of what Jesus has done and the Father exalted him on high now, this is, this is the payoff. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the payback for Jesus doing his work, being obedient to the Father. Now that's gonna, that tells me right here that everybody, every created being, angels and even Satan, will someday kneel at Christ's feet and confess him as Lord. Now, he's not doing that right now. Satan is not confessing Jesus Christ as Lord now. Or if he was, he'd be under his lordship, right? He's not. He's outside of the program. He's a, he's a rogue, a rebellious entity. He's causing all kinds of destruction and pain and hurt out there. But someday, before he's tossed in the lake of fire, he will be on his knees for Christ, confessing his Lord. It'll be too late. It'll be gone. I close with this. Now, when you say Maranatha, what's that mean? <laughs> it's about a 45-minute sermon, isn't it? That's what Maranatha is. But Jesus is coming. He's coming again for His children. And He's faithful. And He's true. He doesn't lie. And He's given us a book to believe. And He's placed the Holy Spirit in us so we can believe it. And He's asked us to increase our faith be more godly to make the right choices. Because see, he has given us that opportunity to make a good or bad choice. You can get up in the morning and you can either answer hell's telephone or heaven's telephone. You know there's two telephones you can pick up in the morning? Who among you is wise and understands? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. Now, if the phone rings and it's a telephone ring and you pick it up, this is what you're going to hear. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. For this telephone that's ringing is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. So God has just defined to us what that wisdom is. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. Amen. But now, there's another telephone ringing. Pick it up. What are we going to hear? But the wisdom that comes from above is pure and peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without 
hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So I encourage you, when the phone rings, make sure it's heaven's phone to pick up and not hell. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Ogladsome Light Podcast. We hope this program has encouraged you to fight the good fight of faith and walk in the accordance with the commandments of our Lord. May God bless you on your journey to salvation. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.